Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Bus. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. A great guest lined up for you today. Jay Williams, entrepreneur and ESPN analyst. You see him on ESPN's Get Up, NBA Countdown. The boardroom on ESPN Plus is starting season number two. I love what he does there with Kevin Durant and with Rich Kleiman, who's been on this show. Uh, and he really has an interesting story because he was drafted number two overall in the 2002 NBA draft. And then he has a horrific motorcycle accident in 2003, almost costs him his leg. And he's reinvented himself. He's actually one of the best broadcasters on TV right now, involved in so many different things. You remember we had Maria Taylor on uh, at the end of last year. She's a Swiss Army knife. I see Jay in the same vein as being in you know so many different things and has such a great perspective uh so you'll enjoy our conversation on today's edition of sports business radio i'm joined in studio as always by executive producer brian griggs griggs the kansas city chiefs are super bowl champions yep we got that right in our prediction that's about the only thing we got right you you got a prop bet right i think well uh... okay so let's do some numbers here yeah okay so 102 million people Tuned into Fox, Fox Deportes, and Fox and NFL Verizon digital properties to watch Kansas City's win over San Francisco. The 10th most watched Super Bowl in history. Um, so good numbers for Fox. Mm-hmm. First time in four years there was an uptick. Remember, things were kind of flat or right. there was a decrease. And look, I mean, it's kind of funny. You're, you're talking about a 95 million plus audience. It's the number one show Crazy. of the year by far. So if it's 95 million or 102 million, it's still great, yeah. right? Like <laughs> anyone else would say, I'd love to have 95 million people tuned in to watch what I'm new. So I, I always feel like we're nitpicking a little bit when you're talking about audience. But, uh, you know, just a good broadcast. I thought Joe Buck and Troy Aikman did a nice job. I watched a lot of the pregame coverage. It was just solid. You know, nothing too fancy, but just solid. Yeah, I think I think the pregame was really good this year. They did a lot of cool stuff with the 100-year stuff. I thought that was great. I loved all the 100-year focus on the NFL. And I mean, when they brought out the players, oh, it, was so good. it was chills. Yeah. Like when they I had all it. the quarterbacks there, yep. and Tom Brady, if you follow him on Instagram, put out a picture of like him and Peyton Manning and Joe Montana yeah. and Dan Marino and John Elway and Brett Favre and Roger Staubach. So cool. I mean, it's just those are the quarterbacks of my lifetime. Yeah. And yeah. to see them all together and then all the other players on the field, that to me like was one of the coolest moments of the day. And if you're going to lots of Super Bowls, that's what made this Super Bowl special is you get to see them 
at this game. Yeah, that's never going to happen. I mean, 100 years is, is done now. You're not going right. to have another 100-year celebration like that. And yeah, and, and Peter O'Reilly, we had on last week, he he prepped us on that. He's like, yeah. watch the pregame. Make sure watch you're the in your, <laughs> your seat at, at 6 p.m. Yeah. Eastern, and, yeah, and was I was it. ready. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. Uh, okay, so you mentioned the prop bet. So first of all, Vegas did very well on this. So they beat the public on the betting lines. Right. One of the biggest swings. So last week we told you, and when we recorded this last week, the over-under on Patrick Mahomes rushing yards was 27 and a half yards. It jumped up to 29 and a half. Okay. So if we had bet it at 27 and a half, we would win. But what happened is he had 44 yards going into the final drive. And because of kneel downs, <laughs> it took him back to 29 yards. Crazy. The over under, as I just told you, crept to 29 and a half. People lost by half a yard. Mm. There was this six figure swing in betting in Vegas for the people that thought they had won when he had 44 yards. Yeah. But then because of the kneel downs, they go, Oh my God, I just lost by half a yard. So, you know, we see Scott Van Pelt all the time on ESPN, bad beats. Yep. This was a bad beat. <laughs> this was a really bad beat. Because if you have a lot of money on that, and uh, from what I read, it was amongst the most bet prop bets yeah. out there. Maybe people were listening to our show last week and they all ran out to, to <laughs> bet it. Be. But, uh, man, that's a, that's a tough one to lose if you had it at 29 and a half instead of 27 and a half like we did. Pepsi halftime show. J-Lo and Shakira. Most of the reviews I read were very positive. Some people called it a top five halftime show in the history of the Super Bowl. There were some political statements mixed in. But overall, this is what I always tell people. If my mom or my daughter are interested in the Super Bowl halftime show, that's great for the NFL. And that's what they're trying to do. 12 minutes of the best concert of the year. My daughter didn't watch any of the Super Bowl. Except for the halftime show. <laughs> so she loved the halftime show, loved the costumes. There were 130 dancers, all the memes of uh, Shakira. Like, it just, I thought all the way around, they were hardworking women, and the dancers were great, and it was good music, and it had a Miami flavor to it. I thought it worked. I love how they brought Miami into it. It just felt kind of that Cuban vibe, the Miami. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it was just like... It was so dialed in. I mean, whoever put the whole mix of the songs and the compilations together, that was my favorite part. Like, just every 10 seconds, jump into another J-Lo, and then, oh, I know that song. Oh, I love right. that song. You're just all over. That was really cool. Well, and how about Shakira and J-Lo's costume changes? Like, Amazing. during the performance, I'm like, where did they just go to change <laughs> yeah, the, right. Did they, like, rip something off, and Crazy. now it's got another costume? It was it was amazing, but the two of them, I'll tell you what, both of them are great performers, but you put the two of them together, yeah. and it was just dynamite. Yeah. So, and then the other moment I really loved is, and a lot of people, you know, they might not have recognized this right off the bat. I did, because I'm a, I'm a cool person like that, but <laughs> when J-Lo's daughter mm-hmm. was on stage and she was singing, as soon as they went to the kid, I was like, oh my God, that's J-Lo's daughter. Yeah. So to see her daughter incorporated into the performance. Yeah, that's cool. As a parent, like, how awesome is that? And then Mark Anthony, uh, her dad with J-Lo, um, you know, tweeted out and posted on Instagram. He's so proud of his daughter and stuff. And, and then check this out, Griggs. Okay. So I, I did some math in my head. JLo's 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Shakira's 43. So combined, they're 93 years old. First of all, they've got to be the best shape 50 and 43 year old yeah. I've ever seen. <laughs> Second of all, they combine for right around 93 million followers on Instagram. 
So two huge followings, and part of that for Pepsi and for the Super Bowl is we want megastars. When they push out content on this halftime show and stuff about the game and the NFL and Pepsi, we want people with huge followings. These are two of the biggest followings of anyone on social media, Shakira and uh, J-Lo. And talk about staying relevant we've been talking about um, today. It's crazy how J-Lo has just been, especially J-Lo. I yeah. mean, she's been around for forever, and yeah. she's always relevant. Like, everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows what she's doing. It's fascinating. Well, and a few weeks ago during the NFC Championship game, I tweeted out my list of people who never age. Yeah. J-Lo was on <laughs> yeah. the list. Right. I actually put Rob Lowe yep. on the list because yep. he was at the game. Rob Lowe retweeted my tweet. <laughs> so my my uh, inner 16-year-old who loves yeah. St. Elmo's Fire and some of the Rob Lowe movies, I was like, yeah. Rob Lowe just retweeted it's me. Awesome. I have arrived. <laughs> but they it's amazing. They don't age. No, they don't. And I actually know J-Lo's trainer because it, it, J-Lo and A-Rod share a trainer with a friend of mine. And, I mean, man, those two... Are in incredible shape, but to go out there for twelve minutes and the dancing and it's like they played in the Super Bowl themselves oh, with yeah. that performance. Think of that workout. I mean, I always think that too when these guys go on on shows and tours and, and do this for however long they do performance. Like that is a full on workout. The dancing and the oh, moving yeah. and the yeah. choreograph and I mean, there's so much involved in a twelve minute show like that. It's, it's nuts. All right, a few other facts and figures around Super Bowl. Ticketmaster reported the average price for tickets to this Super Bowl. This is the average price, $8,507 each, the largest figure for any single live event in the history of a Live Nation-owned company. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. So remember, uh, Tom Garfinkel, yeah. president of the Dolphins, was talking to us about the the expensive seats, the leather seats okay. that during the season are carved out for the J-Lo's and the A-Rod's and the people like that. These seats had to have gone for, you know, 50 to 100 grand. Crazy. And- was the average ticket price for this game. So if you were a Chiefs fan or a Niners fan, you got your money's worth, but uh, you paid a a steep price for it. A few other things. Gatorade, it was orange. A lot of people, the favorite was purple because they thought, you know, with Kobe Bryant passing, Mm. that purple would be the color. So it was bet down to even. But Gatorade, which I think was 8-1, to (laughs) orange, was the winning color. Uh, there was a moment of silence for Kobe, Gianna, the others on the helicopter, and for Chris Dolman, former NFL player who lost his battle with cancer last week. Uh, nice touch by the NFL doing that. We saw lots of players in the game with Kobe-designed cleats yeah. on their feet. That was cool. Griggs, we'll end with this. Another big part of Super Bowl is the ads. So yeah. $5.6 million for a 30-second ad. Here was Ad Meter's top five. We'll see how they compare with with what you like. So USA Today, Ad Meter, top five. Number one, the Jeep commercial with <laughs> Groundhog Day yep. being recounted and with Bill Murray. That was my favorite. Same here. Okay. So number two, Hyundai. And I have a Hyundai. So I, you know, I don't want to do a Smart plug here. Pack. Smart Pop. <laughs> I loved it. And I loved when Big Poppy stuck his head out the window. Yeah. That's hey, Big Poppy! This <laughs> is great. Wicked smart. Yeah, the whole design of the commercial, the people they had in the commercial, Chris Evans and John Krasinski and Rachel Drotch and, again, Big Poppy. It was just really well yeah. done. And part of when you do these commercials, I ask people this all the time. Okay, you saw the commercial. Do you remember what the product was? Right. 
with Hyundai, I remember that it's a car that parks itself. Yeah. Right? Like, how many times do we struggle with parking? And John Krasinski's talking about all the different places he's yeah. parked the car. <laughs> and he gets out of the car. You watch it park itself. That's great. So I remember the product. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically what this product does. Number three on the list was Google Loretta. And it was a very touching commercial. But I found it to be depressing. Yeah. Like, I was really sad after watching the commercial. I'm like, yep. I'm watching the Super Bowl. Yep. There's all this stuff going on. That was kind of a downer. Yep. I was sitting there with my wife, and we both looked at each other after we saw it, and we're like, ouch, that one hurt. Yeah. Like, that's just too sad. Yeah. And I think especially coming off of everything of the last week with right. Kobe Bryant, yeah. and I, I, it just, it was well-produced commercial, yeah. well-intended. Uh, it was depressing yeah. to me. Bad so timing. So I, I needed to go, like, uh, have an adult beverage after <laughs> yeah. watching the Google commercial. Number four, the Doritos Cool Ranch commercial. With Lil Nas and Sam Elliott dancing and the horse dancing and again clever. Uh, I don't know that you know you're gonna go run out and buy Cool Ranch uh, Doritos after this, but it was clever the way it was done and it was memorable, right? I mean, a lot of people remember that. And then number five on the list, Rocket Mortgage. They'd never broken into the top five. The comfortable commercial with uh, Jason Momoa. And that was just another one of those commercials. You're like, what is happening here? (laughs) He's like, you know, ripping pieces of his body off to make himself skinny. And he's like balding and all this stuff. So, you know, it was funny and it was memorable. Again, I don't know if I'm running out and doing rocket mortgage after watching that commercial. So I thought the two that worked the best were the two on top, which were Jeep Groundhog Day, which, by the way, I mean, they did a brilliant job of reenacting Groundhog Day. I mean, they went out and got Bill Murray's brother, who uh, was in the movie. Yep. They got that same guy who, like, approaches them every day and is like, (laughs) hey! They had the bedroom looking the same and the alarm clock looking the same. The groundhog itself, him playing whack-a-mole and apologizing to the (laughs) groundhog was funny. Like, it just, it was a really well-done commercial. And, you know, you remembered the product again. So, to me, the top two Jeep and and Hyundai, which were top two in the ad meter, those were the most memorable. And I remembered the product that was being pitched. I agree. Those two are good. And, I mean, Sam Elliott. I'm a radio guy, so he's, oh, his voice is just solid. Golden. And also, he's got Oregon ties. He went to David Douglas here, and it's a local high school. Okay. Has a house in Westland, from what I've heard. So he's got a local tie. He's my Oregon. neighbor. Yeah, he's your neighbor. So I love Sam Elliott. So that was probably my top three, those two, the two car commercials and Sam. Were there any that you watched and you were just like... I'm trying to think, yeah. What in the world? <laughs> there was one. What was the one where the... Lady spills the thing of chili and it gets like propellered around the room. There was a yeah. weird, I'm like, what are we doing with chili flying around the room? I don't remember what it was even for. Yeah. But yeah. I won't name companies, but I always am amazed. You go out and you pay a ton of money to an ad agency or a creative agency. You pay $5.6 million for 30 seconds. You probably have to pay an actor or at the very least you're paying production value of the spot. And I'm like, that's what you just gave us <laughs> right. on Super Bowl. Oh, I know the other one. Oh, what was the uh, the Wisconsin vets that uh, weather tech? Oh yeah. So there's a great story there. The founder of that company has a dog, and it was the dog in the commercial. Mm-hmm. And these vets saved it yeah. from cancer. So he's like, I'm taking our entire six million dollar ad budget, and I'm promoting the University of Wisconsin vet program. Yeah. 
And I knew the story going into when I watched the commercial. I was like, that's really cool. Yeah. And more and more companies are doing that too, right? Where they're trying to shine the spotlight on some cause mm-hmm. or something that stands for something in the world and they're using their budget and their platform to do it so that hopefully consumers go, oh, that's a really cool company. Like yeah. they care for something more than just the bottom line. Usually Budweiser does something good and they kind of fell out for me this year. There was nothing really like eye-popping and catchy. I don't think we saw the horse, the Clydesdales this year. So um, interesting that they went a different route too. So interesting. The NFL commercial was good this year, but it was far cry from last yeah, year. Yeah, last year's won it. Because the you know all those guys in the same room yeah. and and the female players and just everything about that commercial, I felt like this year they were trying to top that, yeah, or at least stay on par with it, and uh, it didn't resonate with me. It was good, but it didn't resonate with me the way that last year's did. All right, we have a big announcement to make before we get to our interview with Jay Williams. The Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Kemper Lesnick is headed to Chicago. Griggs, we're going to Chicago next week. We're going to be sitting down with a few guests, one of which we can announce now, WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert. I've wanted to have her on for a while. WNBA has a new collective bargaining agreement, some groundbreaking benefits for the women, whether it's pay, travel, things like that, well-deserved and, and frankly, I think long overdue. But uh, it's going to be interesting to talk to her. She was at Deloitte for 33 years. Wow. First CEO, woman CEO in Deloitte's history from 2015 to 2019. So this is one of the most accomplished women that we've ever had on this show. Yeah. She's now leading the WNBA, and I feel like she's really going to take them into profitability and the league is now investing in its players in a way they've never invested in them before. And I feel like they're ready to take the next step, and she's the one ready to lead them there. So I'm excited that we'll sit down uh, at a great venue overlooking the Chicago River next Thursday. So we won't have a show next Tuesday. We will be in Chicago next Thursday, and uh, hopefully we'll have another marquee guest as well. But thanks to Kemper Lesnick, their sports marketing events and public relations agency, ranked by Crane's Chicago Business among Chicago's top PR agencies. They produce uh, great events like the Maui Gym, Maui Invitational, the college basketball tournament, the McDonald's All-America Game, the Powerade Jam Fest, and uh, they also help KitchenAid with their PJ of America partnership. They run a lot of different golf courses around the country, including Bannon Dunes, which is here in Oregon, a course I've played many times and is one of my favorites. So thanks to Kemper Lesnick for helping us with our roadshow in Chicago. You can go to KemperLesnick.com. That's L-E-S-N-I-K.com. And you can follow them at Kemper Lesnick on Twitter. All right, coming up next, Jay Williams. You see him all over ESPN. He's on Get Up, NBA Countdown, The Boardroom on ESPN+. Plus. I love what he's doing, and he really he's deeper than just a broadcaster, deeper than just an athlete, and I think you'll hear that in our conversation. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services 
that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and university stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Joining us now on the Blinder Guest Line is Jay Williams, entrepreneur and ESPN analyst. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at RealJWilliams. As a starter for three years at Duke, Williams won the Naismith College Basketball Player of the Year Award, the John Wooden Award, and the Oscar Robertson Trophy. He was the second overall pick in the 2002 NBA Draft after being selected by the Chicago Bulls right behind top pick Yao Ming. You can now find him on ESPN's Get Up, NBA Countdown, College Game Day, and The Boardroom on ESPN+. Plus. Well, Jay, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing well. I just want you to know, Brian, how committed I am. I literally was on the set uh, first take. I sprinted off the set, closed myself off in a room in the corner of the ESPN building at the South Street Seaport, and now I am talking to you. So I'm committed. You are committed. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to have you on. I want to go back to when you were at Duke. You were the only Duke University athlete to graduate in three years. That's crazy because Duke is a really hard school. You're playing basketball. You're Naismith College Player of the Year. How in the world did you graduate in three years? Well, I've always came from a very uh, business background type of family. My dad worked at Amex for over 15 years and then worked at AT AT&T for 10 My mom was a guidance counselor, aspired to be a principal, went back to school, received two master degrees while I was in school. So there's always been that ambition in my family. And my father has always preached to me since I've been a little boy, you know, most athletes always wanted to be, you know, an NBA player. And I I did want to be an NBA player. But I think ultimately, Brian, I wanted to leverage the platform that I had by playing professional basketball to be my own CEO. I was way more enamored with the CEOs of companies than I was with just on-court performance. And, you know, for me, I I saw that playing basketball might be, as I became better and better, uh, the quickest way to attain wealth. But, uh, you know, life does happen, and sometimes, you know, I was a very immature kid, even though I was trying to be more mature, and that ultimately led to me having a motorcycle accident. But I think that initial drive that I had uh, led me to say to myself, why would I go back home? Like, why wouldn't I stay here, overload my summer courses, continue to work out, and continue to focus on what I want my goal to be, which was to graduate school, to tap into the Duke alumni base, and also come out of Duke understanding about the bigger picture, about my ethos being being a CEO instead of just being a player. Before we get into the motorcycle accident, because that really was a, a pivotal moment in your life, I want to ask you about Coach K, because I hear all these stories about Coach K, obviously mm-hmm. a great basketball coach, but... 
I also hear about his life lessons. What's one of the life lessons that you learned from Coach K while you played for him at Duke? Brian, I have so many. Um, I'll, I'll give you one as it relates to business, though. He is extremely business savvy. Uh, the same reason he continues to expand the Iron Dukes, uh, people that give over a million dollars a year. He does fantasy camps where they pay anywhere between ten to fifteen grand to come in to partake in the culture of Duke basketball. He is incredible at building relationships and then sustaining those relationships. So my first encounter with Coach K will probably be the most poignant is that I remember sitting down in a room with him, with my mother and my father, and first off, he never addressed me as Jason. He addressed my father and my mother as David and Althea, but he addressed me as Mr. Williams. So, you know, obviously I understood the profile of this guy that he majored in in psychology, and uh, he was a mastermind at this, and it was the first time I thought about myself as an adult. Right. Like people don't talk to you like you're an adult. They talk to you like you're a child. And so the the level of expectation went up drastically with that approach. And then he started asking me probing questions that I never thought about. What would you like to accomplish if you come here to Duke? I've never thought about that. I'm sitting here thinking you should be telling me why I want to come here. I shouldn't be telling you why I want to go to school here. So a little bit of that reverse psychology where he got me to think about you know, what my ultimate goal was and what I wanted to achieve from the university that I decided to attend. And then one of the most brilliant things he did to me is he started to ask me, you know, what pick an NBA draft do you want to be, if that's a goal of yours? And, Brian, at the time, I'm 16 years old. I say, oh, the first pick. Obviously, I want to be the first pick in the draft, Coach. <laughs> and he says, right, about planning for where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, he, said, he then said, well, how much money does the first pick in the draft make? And I was baffled. I I didn't do any kind of due diligence or preparation to understand financially what the first pick in the draft would make. And then he would ask another follow-up question. Okay, how much much does your contract get inflated by each year? How long is your contract? Is that a team option or is that your option? What percentage are you paying your agent? What what, What tax bracket will you be in? He started talking to me as if I were a business. And I think it was that kind of understanding that got me to look forward to that experience with him because I was going to learn so much more than just basketball, so much more than on the court. He was going to translate the on the court teachings to being off the court successful. All right. So, I mean, obviously, amazing career at Duke, Naismith College Player of the Year, John Wooden Award winner. You're the second overall pick in the 2002 draft right behind Yao Ming. And then the motorcycle accident. You're 21 years old. It's 2003. Horrific accident that almost cost you your leg. Here's my question to you, Jay. How do you get past something like that mentally? Because there's a physical recovery, which is hard enough. How do you get past that mentally? Because I've read stories where you've done other interviews and you said you blamed yourself a lot when this happened. Yeah, I think you find a lot of companies that have to do this as well. Uh, I think the most important aspect of what helped me get over what occurred is I had to understand that I had to own my own narrative because there was something very empowering about doing so, Uh, owning your history. I think I spent so much of my time after my accident trying to run away from my history, but people in society wouldn't let me do that, Brian, right? People served as constant reminders to what I had deemed at that point the biggest mistake I had made in my life. And people would ask me 
not with malicious intent, but sincere questions about trying to bridge a conversation, saying things to me like, I'm so sorry this happened to you, or, you know, why did you put yourself in that position? And a lot of the questions that people would ask me in random conversations, I didn't have answers to. And it wasn't until I really started to try to write my own book after I got turned down by countless publishers, because people always told me, well, you need to do more, you need to accomplish more. And I would look at them and think to myself, well, nobody said I had to be here. Like, this is, this is a win. It may not be the win in the public's eyes from the perspective of, oh, I've had a you know, 15-year NBA career and I've made $400 million, but that all depends upon what your value system is. And I had to retrain myself to appreciate the values that I actually had about being here and being present and thinking about what I've gained instead of what I've lost. And I think that was the pivotal point, and that's how I was able to pivot and move forward. We have a lot of people who work in business who listen to this show. Some are at crossroads with their jobs, and they don't know what's next. How do you go about reinventing yourself? Because I think you've done a brilliant job of that. Thank you. Well, I think it all starts off with Jalen Rose told me a line when I was 24 years old that I'll never forget, and it's kind of been one of these ethoses I've had in my life. He always says, appreciate your position while planning your promotion. So my thing is you hear people say all the time, if you don't like what you're doing, then you're not going to be successful at it. And I will say that's very true. But if you don't like what you're doing, strategize on what it is you want to do and build out what is that bridge? How are you building that connector towards what you want to do? So for me personally, I think I'm always inspired to do other things. I love what I do. I try to be great at obviously being on TV. I, I really do. Um, have a passion about television, but also I have a passion about business. So for me, uh, getting my foot in the door at 23 years old, learning the ranks of how TV works, uh, learning about the innuendos about the business of TV, and now leveraging the platform to pretty much a point where I'm allowed to build out the sports business vertical through the ESPN channel has been a dream come true. Um, but it just doesn't stop there. I think you always have to find something that drives you about what you do. Because if you don't, then you become stagnant. And everybody I've seen within the business place that becomes stagnant, you become lackluster in your approach. And if you can remain driven by finding different data points that continue to drive you, like we all have to do, this reinvention process never stops. I think it constantly gives you different goals. And as you have different goals in your life, you're able to continue to move forward. And so for me personally, it's about, okay, how do I leverage my platform that I currently have? How can I become a better investor? How can I become a better partner in the businesses I'm involved in? How do I continue to leverage the platform I have in TV? How do I own my own content? How can we, you know, the word talent, when people call me talent, I'm like, well, no, now you have to be talent. You have to be a producer. You have to be a coordinator. You have to understand you know, what cameras you need, how to create your own content. So I think as you continue to evolve as a person, that is the key to success. Let's talk about your, your TV work for a minute. Uh, boy, you're everywhere. NBA countdown, get up, college game day. The Boardroom on ESPN+, Plus, which we'll get to in a minute because I love that show. As a sports business person, uh, I, I really like what you're doing there. But what a hectic schedule, but you get to wear lots of different hats and you get to work with lots of different people. That's got to be fun. Yeah, you know, I, I no longer do college game day. Um, you know, I do miss college sports. I, I feel like it's one of the last passions where you get a chance to truly interact with the fan. Uh, but doing Get Up and doing NBA Countdown and doing – 
you know, the boardroom has been incredible for me. It, it is uh, very time, uh, you know, frustrating-wise, I guess, uh, because I, there's not much that much time in the day. But I, I, I do tell you, I the conversations I'm able to have and how I'm able to cross-pollinate the information I hear, hear from different conversations over to the sports side, back over to the sports business side, I think is imperative. Prime example, I just got a chance to go down to the Bloomberg Technology Conference, the Power Players Conference, and I listened to a peer-to-peer conversation from a guy named David Rubenstein, who owns the Carlisle Group. And the Carlisle Group is one of the biggest stakeholders in an insurance company that I became a partner in, right? So understanding David Rubenstein and how he created wealth. He did a conversation with Stephen Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins and also is a huge stakeholder in Equinox. So getting a chance to hear that conversation, but also them being able to come over to get up and hearing that Stephen Ross said that, you know, I don't understand why Tom Brady will want to come down here to Miami and being able to have a touch point there and being able to expound upon that, that leads into a bigger conversation about the Miami Dolphins and about what they're doing at the quarterback position and what they're ultimately trying to achieve. So one gives you insight into the other. And plus, look, you know, my wife has a voracious uh, attitude towards always learning. I think I've listened to more Tim Ferriss podcasts over the past three years of my life than I have even with my own parents' teachings. So um, it, it's one of those things that just becomes contagious. It's what, it's what I love. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we've both been to Andre Iguodala's uh, tech summit in San Francisco. Yes. And you walk into that room, and I tell people it's billionaire tech investors who are some of the greatest business people in the world, and then it's elite athletes. And you put them in the same room, and it's really dynamite. It's, it's fantastic. But you walk away from that event learning so many of the latest trends and what's coming. And, I mean, these people are brilliant. So we you know, you and I swim in somewhat similar waters where we're tapping into the minds of, of genius and it does impact how we cover things and even some of the decisions we make. One thousand percent, Brian. And ultimately, you know, the, the landscape of sports is just changing drastically. Even, prime example, like look at some of these stadiums. Look at what Dallas is doing with their AT&T Stadium. I mean, that's three million square feet, right? And they're building 17-story apartment complexes in conjunction with the stadium. That's over 100,000 you know, seating capacity. Uh, even what they're doing with the Chase Center, you know, I think over 150,000 square feet of retail space. So we're reinventing these new age malls to create more foot traffic for these massive events to capitalize on the foot traffic that comes in with the event. So I think having a chance to sit down with some of these brilliant minds, you hear about this futuristic type thinking that you think at the given time, you're like, oh, I don't know if that's ever going to come to fruition. But then when you actually see it, you get blown away by it uh, because it's right there at the forefront of what we're doing in sports and business. You're one of the hosts of The Boardroom on ESPN Plus. Season 2 is coming out soon. How did you connect with Rich Kleiman? He's been on this show. Uh, Obviously, he works closely with Kevin Durant. But how did that all take shape where you guys partnered on that show? I I met Rich Rich Kleiman, I want to say, over 15 years ago at a party in L.A. We were hanging out with Method Man. (laughs) Um, Exactly. in, In those type of rooms. And had always known who Rich was from that given point. Obviously, knew his career over at Rock Nation because I was always into stuff like that and Jay-Z. And then I uh, heard about his story breaking away, breaking away with Kevin. And one of my best friends and guy that does extremely well is a guy named Scooter Braun. Oh, yeah. Kind of reconnected us. 
And, uh, you know, Rich and I both had the same passion. I love the way he goes about his business uh, in a very clandestine-like manner. A lot of people don't know what it is he's doing, but he always knows how to move in rooms. And he also surrounded himself with people who are exponentially better than he is at certain things. So he recognizes the brilliance in others and just started kind of talking to me about overall the concept. And next thing I know, I became a partner in this whole thing with Rich and Kevin and, you know, licensing it back to ESPN. It, it's, um, Brian, it, it's who I am innately. It's who Rich is. Uh, and I think bringing further insight to what happens in these rooms and how these conversations go. And Rich always gives a great analogy by saying, you know, you would see on the ticker of ESPN, LeBron becomes part owner of Liverpool, and then the ticker will go away. Well, as a fan, like, that sounds awesome, but what does that mean? (laughs) What percentage of Liverpool does he have? How did that connection become feasible? What is LeBron's plan business-wise? What are they doing uninterrupted? Uh, what are you doing all the platforms he's been able to build? And, and you know, what's his evolution as a business? Who's running that? Who's putting together these deals? Who's part of his vetting team? Um, so just doing more due diligence and digging, why not create a platform that gives that access to companies like ESPN? And that's the brilliance of what Rich and Kevin were able to put together. And just utilizing that vehicle to continue to build has been a, a dream. It's amazing to me. We started Sports Business Radio in 2004. And to see how athletes have evolved into CEOs, almost all of them. You know, it used to be in the early days, you'd have an athlete on and you'd talk about their endorsement deals or partnerships. They'd plug some things. But now the athletes that are out there running their own companies and being CEO and being part of the strategies, that's one of the things I love about the boardroom is – that, those are the conversations, much like on this show, you guys are having those. You're having them at a high level. We're getting the inside scoop on why certain decisions were made business-wise. And you really do get to see the athlete as the CEO. It's really different. And I will tell you, Brian, it's not the same for every athlete. I think, yes, the evolution of the athlete is changing. Some athletes are way more advanced than others. Uh, I think You know, it depends upon what stage of the career that you're in. Sitting down with Deshaun Watson, obviously he's still at the earlier stage of his career, but he is a sponge. He asked 8 million questions, and they were informative questions about, you know, everything from investment decks to, you know, overall when people say, hey, we want equity, you know, what is that equity worth? Uh, What is your stock worth? Are you a public traded company? Are you a privately owned company? Uh, And I know that they seem in the business world very simplistic questions, but think about what the narrative has been for the athlete for so long. These business ventures have been seen as distractions for all these players. Right? One of the things people always say, even when you're in college, think about the, the uh, current climate that we have with the NCAA now and where we're at from, you know, um, you know, I think there was one example, and I'm forgetting his name now, excuse me for drawing a blank, but there was a football player that went to a school who was a kicker, and he was generating revenue off of his Instagram page, right. writing together all these different kicking videos, right? And, you know, people initially came out and said, well, that's a distraction away from your team, and that's take. well, it's not. It's not. That's what. That's why kids go to college. <laughs> they go to college to become executives, to learn about business or things that they want to make their career in, or leverage the platform that they have. So I think now that that's becoming more reasonable for athletes to be seen as individual businesses. Um, I think we're going to continue to see how that's going to be revolutionized. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. 
We'll be right back after this. One word you wouldn't typically associate with a dress shirt is comfort. However, the folks over at Mizzen in Maine are changing this. Their shirts are incredibly comfortable. Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that fixes everything that's ever been wrong with shirts for so long. Their shirts breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. They've taken the hassle out of looking great through wrinkle resistance and the ability to wash your shirts at home. No more last-minute ironing. No more after-work trips to the dry cleaner. It's a shirt that's worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. And guess what? Mizzen in Maine now is making pants at long last. The Mizzen in Maine performance chino is here. Everything consumers love about the dress shirts, packed into new pants. Business casual just got comfortable. I love my Mizzen in Maine pants. It has the same breathability, superior comfort, no pilling. It's awesome. For travel, I don't have to worry about my pants being wrinkled when I take them out of my suitcase, just like my dress shirts. Now I'm covered. I've got the pullover. I've got the dress shirts. I've got the new pants. Go to MizzenandMaine.com. Use the promo code SBR. Try out their new pants. I promise you'll love them. That's MizzenandMaine.com. Code SBR. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. You're an investor and an entrepreneur. If someone comes to you and they say, Jay, I want you to partner with me on this or invest in that, what's the criteria you're looking for in order to say yes? Uh, well, I, I mean, I go through background checks on individuals. I'm part of a family office. So we'll have multiple meetings just about understanding, hey, what is this invest? What is your investment strategy? I mean, how much revenue have you been able to raise? Like, are you in Series A, Series B? Uh, you know, what is the current climate of your business? I will also then ask to talk to other employees of the business about the climate of the business. I think it's very in detailed and very thorough. Obviously, I still am trying to get better at that. I think um, as I continue, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I'm still a very young puppy in the big scheme of things, Brian. There is a lot I've had to learn, but I think I've also done a great job of creating a board. I have a personal board. I have a guy like Mark Klaus, who is a CEO of Campbell Soup. Uh, I have multiple, you know, that's just one example. I have multiple people who I will call and involve in this process in the long uh, in conjunction with my family office and kind of, you know, because I feel like I'm constantly be, being given cards. So, prime example, the Bloomberg Technology Conference, I sat in the corner for 35 minutes and I must have had at least 20 to 30 different business pitches. So, realistically, you know, I first off, coming from this position, I've learned how to say no more in my life, mm-hmm. which really helps me because I also am a husband and a father and there's only so much I can do in the, in the time of the day. Um, but I think once... I go through the vetting process, which is, um, you know, pretty critical and pretty arduous of a task. Um, If I'm able to come out the other end and saying, hey, this fits the ethos of who I am, and this is very congruent with who I am as a person, um, then that's usually how it comes to fruition. I love the personal board thing. I heard a podcast interview a few years ago with Shaq. And he said that he has his personal board of five people. Anytime he has a big decision he needs to make in his life, he runs it by his his personal board. I love that idea. I think we all need our own personal boards. You know, it it started for me after my second attempt at suicide. Um, I tried it twice, and the second one, 
uh, became addicted to Oxycontin because I had uh, dislocated my knee and I had nerve regeneration. And they compare that pain, which could occur anywhere from a minute a day to several hours throughout the course of the day to childbirth. Um, And a guy named Charles Grantham, who actually ran the Players Union for a long time before Billy Hunter came on board, uh, has served in that board role capacity in my life. And he, he just says, you know, Jay, you always talk about business, but you don't value yourself like I would value my business. And I say, you know, Charlie, what do you mean? He's like, well, you think about, like, who would, who would you say is on your board currently? And I was really lost, Brian. I was 24 years old. I was living in New York City with three friends on the Lower East Side. Every night was a different party. Or different party. Um, I was getting Oxycontin from an 18-year-old kid, um, you know, just aimlessly roaming around the streets late nights on the weekends. And he said, you know, I want you to surround yourself with people that you want to aspire to be like. And I think that was the first time I heard the personal board properly articulated towards me. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't have to be in business. It was about, you know, what kind of father do you want to be? How are you learning more about, you know, and it's really funny. We listened to a podcast last night with Tim and my wife and I just about even how can we become better at our relationship? How do we have designated time to focus on just our relationship and, you know, positive reinforcement of conversation instead of, you know, nitpicking and saying, I don't like when you do this. I don't like when you do that. You know, turning the tables around and saying, well, look, when, when things like this happen, I automatically go to this type of place so she can have a better understanding of how I think about it and not to knock her or to make her defensive, but give her my insight on what my POV is on an issue. So I think the more that you're able to surround yourself and try to learn from people that share their experiences for positive or negatives, it just helps you build and compile a list of things that you can learn from. And I feel like we all try to do things on our own, and that's not the way I operate anymore. Balance. I mean, what you just said is, is so important. Family life and work life. You're really busy with work. You're doing some great things, but then you don't want to forget about the family. You've got a daughter, right? And then your, your wife. Wait, wait, Brian, can I ask you, how, how do you go about your balance? How do you go about your business? You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. So I started my own business. I left the Portland Trailblazers when I was 28 years old and I knew what I saw a lot was in sports, there was a high rate of divorce and a high rate of people who were married to their job and they were disconnected from their families, whether it was their wife or their kids. And I really took note of that when I was in my early 20s. And I said, I don't want to be that person. I love sports, but I made a conscious decision that I didn't want to be that person. So I have a daughter as well. And I work for myself mainly because I tell people my number one currency in life isn't money. It's time. And I never want to miss any of her events. I never want to miss the doctor appointments. She is number one in this life. And I say to people all the time, if at the end of my life, people, all they say is, you know what? He was a really good dad or he was a really good brother or he was a really good friend. That's good enough for me. I love having my mind activated by what I do. And I love meeting the people that I meet, but it's not my why in the world. Yeah. I um, and I, you know, hearing you say that, it brings me back to, I think one of the things that it's really hard about being married to what you love, because as an athlete, that's what I was taught. 
Right. You know, Brian, from day one, like you have to put in the extra time. You have to be willing to sacrifice. And those sacrifices usually come from the family's perspective. And, you know, it's one of the things that made it so hard for me this past week because in order to be elite at something, you would think that's what you need to do. And, and Kobe epitomized that. Right. Like he, um, the sacrificing he had, you know, with his wife Vanessa and his his four girls, and them always being on the road, or him leaving early to be in the gym, and all the all the time that you weren't able to allocate for all those moments that your family goes through as they continue to grow and evolve as people, and to think that for the past, you know, three years he actually was able to spend that time, um, you know, for me as much as people try to make my accident be the one thing that kind of took my career away. I also think I gained so much from mm, it yeah. because it gave me perspective on allocation of time, right? Uh, and recognizing that time isn't something that is going to be here forever and I can always plan and say, oh, two weeks from now I'll do this or a month from now. Yeah, I'll still try to strategize to some degree, but I'll never strategize by just Looking forward, I'll strategize by paying attention to what's right in front of my face. Yeah, I mean, you got a second chance, uh, and you've made the most of it. Sticking with Kobe for a minute, you know, to me, it's all around heartbreaking for the whole situation and for everyone on the helicopter. But I just loved, you know, as a father myself, I loved watching him grow into that role. And I loved watching him with Gianna and you know, to me, that's the most heartbreaking thing of this whole thing is he was really in act two of his life and he was embracing fatherhood and you could see it. And, you know, just it breaks my heart. I'm with you. And, uh, you know, being on air in the first 25 minutes oh. or so after finding that out was uh, incredibly challenging for me to process. And it's really funny, too, Brian, because, uh, you know, I always joked around. I was captain of my chess team in high school and people always, you know, the terminology of the word nerd carries a negative connotation when you're younger. And then as you get older, uh, the nerds are the ones who are su- <laughs> extremely successful. Right. And, and then the nerds become cool and all the cool guys are like, what happened to me? Um, I, the way Kobe went about his business was so fascinating and inspiring to me, knowing that, you know, over $680 million in his career earnings uh, owning barely over 10% of body armor and then Coca-Cola buying a huge stake in it and his, his evaluation of the company to increasing to over $200 million, right? Like the $100 million venture capitalist fund that he started, gra- you know, Granity Studios, all the things he's been able to do. And I've been studying it, right, because I, I wanted to mirror that stuff. And then I found myself, you know, 25, 30 minutes after this man has passed away, and it just came out on air where I was like, you know, life doesn't care about your accolades. Right. You know, this is this is arbitrary. This is a man trying to get his daughter and his friends to an AAU basketball game, and um, it. Uh, I've I've had my own reminder of my life. But let's be frank, Brian. We all get lost into the minutia of life. Sometimes we all end up making things that are small and minute way bigger than what they are, and. Um, you know, once again, this is a reminder that this opportunity that we're sharing right now on the phone, like you have to be appreciative of these things. I've written down about 15 to 20 different things that you just said, because these are things that I'm going to take away and I'm going to add to my life to make my life better with my family and my wife and lessons that I can help other people learn. And that's what this value exchange is all about. 
No, I agree. I agree. And it does. I mean, when you see someone like that, because, I mean, to me, you look at someone like Kobe Bryant and you think they're immortal. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. So I was the broadcaster for Loyal to Marymount in 1990 when wow. Paul Westhead was the coach and Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball were the stars of that team. I was sitting courtside the night that Hank Gathers collapsed and died. He was immortal to me. Like, you know, I, I was the same age as him. I was in college classes with him, but I looked at him as the strongest man in America. And he called himself the strongest man in America. He led the nation in scoring and rebounding. But that was the first time in my life where literally this happened right in front of me that I said, oh, my God, we're not immortal. Like, if, if he just went... I can easily go because he's the strongest man in America. And it really, that was another changing point of my life where it showed me, like, we're not guaranteed another day. No matter how strong we are, no matter what our accomplishments are, no one's immortal. So when I saw this with Kobe, it was yet another reminder where you think, like, he's going to don a superhero costume and get everyone to safety. We're not immortal, unfortunately. Yeah. Um and I'll tell you too, Brian, it's been really hard for me this past week to be on air because everybody asks, you know, tell an anecdotal story about, you know, you and the Kobe experience. And, um, you know, I, I really haven't been able to do that. Every time I leave my home, I end up closing the door and coming back in and opening it and giving my wife and my daughter another hug. Yeah. You know, uh, it just... I mean, that's a random, and I, I don't work that far away from my house, maybe about a mile and a half away from home is where the South Street Seaport is compared to where my home is in Brooklyn. But I, I see accidents all the time on the Brooklyn Bridge, on the West Side Highway, on the FDR. Um, I don't know wh- whether they're fatal or not. I actually don't even stop to pay attention. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's crazy to me how we live in the world in which we move so fast the matrix of the matrix of life has you moving in so many different directions that there are so many struggles and things that are right in front of your face that you just pay no attention to because it's not applicable in your life at that given time. And you know, one of the other areas that really resonated with me is that I still have people to this day that come up to me and apologize to me for my accident. Right mm-hmm. now, I've learned how to own my own narrative and how I can on the spot change the way a person deems my life as almost a failure to what I've gained from the experience and have that person walking away saying, wow, like I never even thought about it like that. But I can't imagine what it's going to be like for Vanessa and his, her three other girls. And people are innately going to try to do this to be nice and to try to, you know, show that they care. But you know, people just are going to apologize to them for the rest of their lives about yeah. their father passing away. Yeah. Um, how do you internalize that? How do you deal with that psychologically? Um, it's And I, I know people die every second of the day. I mean, for this conversation that we're having, uh, multiple people have passed away. But it's it's one of those things that just, if, force, if this doesn't force you to stop and think, or if you haven't had any kind of tragedy in your life, then, you know, I don't know what you're doing here. Yeah. On a lighter note, yeah, one of the uh, things that has surprised me the most about this, like I knew Kobe was beloved and I actually spent a day with him in China in 2007 and followed him around and just saw what a global rock star he is. I mean, more so than MJ or anyone. He was just all over the world. 
But the tributes from other athletes and other sports all over the world is it's just it's incredible. So, you know, his life was cut short. But wow, what an impact he made on so many people. I'm with you, man. And it's, um, you know, whether it's the Mamba Academy or you start going back and listening to some of the things he says. And he would say, you know, I never want my uh, potential to outweigh. Like, I never want my I think I'm trying to think about exactly what I said. Excuse me. I never want my work ethic to outweigh my. No, I never want my potential to outweigh my work ethic. Right. Right. And it was one of those things where you sit there and you say, wow, okay, like this guy, you know, from a work perspective and how he is so competitive um, and seeing how many people that he's been able to touch. But Kobe, that's the Kobe Bryant that the world knows. Like the Kobe Bryant that I know literally at a Players Tribune Summit, Brian walked up to me and this is about nine or ten years after my accident says, so you had your accident. What are you going to do now? Hmm. What are we doing? Yeah. Right? And it was, I was like, uh, hi, Kobe. What's up? How's your family? Good to see you, brother. Like, but there's, there's, I loved his brash and very blunt approach to it. Like, hey, I'm not going to coddle you. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be okay. Tell me how you're going to fix the problem. Be solutions-oriented. And that's who this man was. Yeah. I mean, look, we get one go around at this thing, as far as I know, and you got to make the most of it. And it's with the people that we touch, but it's also, you know, with with what we want to do while we're here. And again, his life was cut way too short, but what an impact he had on so many people. Before I let you go, do you own the Cabin Restaurant in New York? Did I did I, I hear that? I, I do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, advise people to get into the restaurant business from an investment <laughs> perspective. Um, but I, I would say it's something that you know. A couple of friends and I uh, went away to the Poconos one time a while back ago. And uh, look, I'm going to be honest with you, Brian. I'm, I'm not a. My wife is a huge outdoors person. I'm, I'm really trying to learn about being outdoors. I, I don't, uh, you know, just ethnicity-wise, we have a history with being in the woods. I kind of get intimidated. I'm like, there's a lot of space. I don't know if, what is that space <laughs> found. I get really nervous. Where's Bigfoot? Uh, yeah, exactly. But my friend had a cabin and uh, in the Poconos, and we spent a couple of days there. And I was like, man, this is really cool outside in nature. And we went rafting, and we did all these cool things on hikes. And uh, we kind of had this idea about why not build an actual cabin with the actual wood and bring that to New York City and try to make it have homey-type food, warm, cozy-type experiences during the winter, change all you know all the uh, custom things that we had from a decoration perspective aesthetically you know, through each season, and then maybe sometimes in the summer open it up and let it be outside. And it's been a really, really cool experience. I've actually almost gotten my investment back, which is shocking. That's great. Well, when I come out in May for Sports PR Summit, I'm going to your restaurant. I'm going to bring Done. my crew there. I would love to host you and whoever you want to bring through. Oh, that would be awesome. I, I would love to check it out. Before I let you go, uh, next week, it's All-Star in Chicago. Uh, I got to tell you, the two players I enjoy watching the most right now, Damian Lillard, I'm in Portland, so, you know, he's just... Uh, yes. He's un- been phenomenal. <laughs> unbelievable. And then I love Luka Doncic, too. Those are my two favorite players to watch in the NBA right now. How are you enjoying the NBA? I know this is kind of a weird season because you got Steph hurt and Clay hurt and KD hurt. And, you know, I feel like we're on hiatus this season with a few teams and a few players and they'll be back next year. But what do you think of the season so far? 
You know, I think it's been really intriguing to watch. It's uh, obviously teams in the East. Milwaukee's having a legendary type season. You know, on pace to win you know sixty or seventy games potentially. Um, I think there's been some disappointing teams, but I look is the star power there as much as it was in years past? No, not with the names that you just mentioned being out. Even on the East, Victor Oladipo being out for Indiana. But there still is really exciting basketball being played. Like if you don't, and I know Dame is out in your neck of the woods, and I know he's not. They're not on a lot of prime time TV out here on the East Coast. But I stay up late. I just want you to know I'm committed once again, Brian. <laughs> Good. You're you gonna your watch show, Dame time. Watching your team. Um, he's been on a tear. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's been so incredibly interesting to watch. And then you have the Lakers and LeBron and AD and. You know, everything happening there currently, and then the Clippers, and will they come into form? And you have teams like Utah and Denver, right? And they're underrated, but will, do they have the star power that you think can carry them in the playoffs? And and then obviously Luca, uh, my agent Bill Duffy, when I played, represents him, and we have conversations weekly just about who he is as a person. And um, you know, we were laughing because when they played that game in Mexico, you talk about an international brand. I know the NBA is an international brand, but a lot of players don't have that ability to cross like Kobe did to a degree because Kobe was – he could speak Italian, he could speak multiple, multiple languages. But it was just funny watching Luca from Slovenia in Mexico address, you know, all the Mexican fans in Spanish and be fluent about it. And you forget that this kid's been a pro – at Real Madrid since he's been 13 years old. Yeah. 13 years old, right? Um, and speaking multiple languages and understanding family and being a first class, it's, uh, that's what makes me smile when we have players in our game that can carry the torch internationally. Jay Williams, you can watch him on ESPN on Get Up, NBA Countdown, and The Boardroom on ESPN Plus Season 2 is coming up. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Real Jay Williams. Jay, this was an absolute pleasure. I love when our paths cross. Uh, this was a really honest and candid conversation today, and I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Brian, thank you too, man. I appreciate you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. I can't tell you how many times over the years on Sports Business Radio that a PR person is asked to listen in on my interviews with their CEO, GM, coach, or athlete. They also want to call us in our studio so that we don't have the phone number of the high-profile person who is calling us for our interview. Blinder has developed a technology that solves these issues that have existed for years. Use Blinder's unique technology to connect your athlete, coach, or executive's personal phone for any interview without sharing their private information. Remotely control the phone interviews. Set start and finish times, monitor online or with the Blinder mobile app, and listen to a recording of the call at any time for complete peace of mind. With Blinder, you're finally in control. The system works globally from any phone line. Scheduling a call takes seconds. Customizable push notifications ensure a connection, and no one needs to download anything to make or receive a call. PR people everywhere should be using this helpful technology. Blinder is now the technology we use for the official guest line for Sports Business Radio. Learn how to start your free trial by visiting blinderhq.com backslash sbradio. Now we're talking. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at boingo. For Brian Griggs, 
I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com.